Alright ladies and gentlemen, strap in because when it comes to this game, we are in for the long haul. Welcome back to Geek Explain, the podcast for comics, film, TV, and more. You name it, we explain it. I'm your host, Eric Kazana, and welcome back to Kingdom Hearts Month. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, this is an entire month filled with Kingdom Hearts episodes. Every week, get a brand new Kingdom Hearts episode as we roll on to the release of Kingdom Hearts 3. We've been doing a full series retrospective since July. We have been working our way game through game on release schedule. And we are now here at Kingdom Hearts Key slash Unchained Key slash Union Cross slash Back Cover. Um, I probably won't put that many titles into the title of the episode, but that is uh, what we're going to be covering. All three games plus the cinematic. Um, that being said, there is a lot to cover here. So you are in for a wild ride, as I was when I started doing my notes for this game. Um I am looking at them right now, and I think for a Kingdom Hearts episode, if not just an episode in general, this might be the most notes I've ever had to take. So it's uh, it's pretty thick. I'm getting close to the end of my uh, first volume of notes for this podcast, uh, which pretty much means we're getting close to the end of volume one here. Uh, we have been rolling for almost a month now. We are a podcast that has been uh, working since February of last year, and we have grown an incredible amount since then. Um, and I'm just, I want to say thank you to everybody who has taken the time out of their day to listen to us, to give us your time, and to just share in the conversations um i'm looking over the stats right now and we are sitting at just under two thousand listeners that is a huge deal and i am so 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 thankful for everyone who has uh, been listening whether you started with us from the beginning whether you've just jumped on recently uh whether you're near whether you're far if you're in the U.S. like I am, or I'm looking at the stats right now, we have listeners from India and Brazil. Uh, I haven't seen uh, India up on our stats yet, so hello India. Thank you for uh, giving us the time to uh, just talk about nerd stuff, and uh, thank you to Brazil as well, and thank you to everyone all over the world who has been taking their time to listen to an American talk about stuff. I really appreciate it. It really helps the growth of this podcast for you guys to listen, to tell your friends, share our stuff on social media platforms. Feel free to uh, follow us and um, 
tweet us at all anything that you want um at geeksplained pod that's at geeksplained pod on twitter uh you can also send me emails because i'm an old man and i love reading emails uh you can send any and all emails to geeksplained at gmail.com uh in the new year we are also looking into maybe starting up an instagram page um, just kind of giving you like little things about what we're talking about, uh, throwing up pictures of stuff that's relevant to the episode that week. Um, yeah, there's, there's really nothing, uh, there's really no ceiling for what you can put on, uh, social media nowadays for better or for worse. So if you're interested or you would be interested in an Instagram for this podcast, feel free to let me know on uh, either of the other platforms that we currently have going. But that is it for uh, social media shilling. Uh, we are going to jump right over to our featured subject for today, which is the next stop on our road to Kingdom Hearts 3, and that is Kingdom Hearts key slash unchained key slash union cross slash back cover uh why do i say all those titles i am about to fill you in uh so we're going to be doing this traditional retrospective style first we're going to be covering background and development of all the games listed as well as the cinematic movie Uh, i'm going to be getting into first we're going to be covering story-wise the back cover film because that is considerably shorter than everything that we're going to be covering with the actual games then we'll be getting into the storyline of those games and then as always stick around at the end for uh this week's comics countdown so jumping into the background and development of all of these games um kingdom hearts key unchained key and union cross are all kind of the same mobile game uh Kingdom Hearts Key was initially a browser game that was Japan exclusive. Uh, Later on, they made a mobile port to kind of appease both fans on the go as well as uh, international fans because taking something, the idea of creating your own character, giving them a Keyblade, and running around in the Kingdom Hearts universe is too good an idea to just leave in uh one region of the world so it got bumped over to uh kingdom hearts unchained key and then later on the game was uh rebranded and relaunched as union cross i'm going to get into all the logistics uh in that in just a moment so the whole project all of the ones that i just named were co-directed by tatsuya nomura as always, as well as Tetsuya Kondo. Um, He is a relatively uh, new face to the franchise at this point in the uh, the series, but he and Nomura worked together on the story, on the concept, and then this game was also co-developed as well, being developed by both Square Enix as well as the Success Corporation. I've never heard of the Success Corporation before. It sounds like a pyramid scheme that you would find um, a person on the corner of a like downtown area trying to shop to you. Like, have you heard of the Success Corporation? Well, give me five minutes of your time and let's show you a video on how Success Corporation can give you success so like that sounds a little sketchy to me but um 
Square Enix all obviously had faith in them because they decided to uh, partner up with them because they didn't really have any experience on mobile platforms. So they reached out to Success Corporation. The two of them decided to work together, and here we are. Uh, the concept that Nomura and Kondo were coming up with was that they wanted this game to be designed to be a bit more fairy tale esque. They wanted to really lean into those uh, ideas and concepts that the original Disney films had your Snow Whites, your um, Cinderella's, your Sleeping Beauties. Very fairy tale, very fantastic esque, and a little bit more, I don't want to say like kid friendly because the series as a whole has always been kind of kid-friendly if not really confusing so i mean it it was meant to be something that could be played more casually and in that it was based around a lot of uh flashy combat as well as simple controls so you're gen your general point and click they go you use what originally were cards but are now quote-unquote metals to attack it's a whole deal so um standard kind of uh online browser-based uh gameplay and combat but what was interesting is when it comes to the story of this game the story of this was written alongside kingdom hearts 3 and so nomura in a recent uh interview has basically said that both um the cross family as well as kingdom hearts 3 share a strong connection so a lot of the ideas and concepts that you find in these games are not only going to influence kingdom hearts 3 they're also going to be implemented into that game as well so um one example of this is a little promotion that they're doing that i'll get into in a little bit but Overall, this game was made initially to be something, I think, to placate fans until the release of Kingdom Hearts 3. Uh, this was a kind of a community-building uh, tool for fans all around the world to um, not only continue the... Um, the hype that was kind of going around the series but also to connect with other fans in that same way um so again like i was saying the initial game which was kingdom hearts key or x uh it's so dumb um was initially a browser title and it was released on july 18th of 2013 again japan exclusive really cool looking for us u.s and in other international people i remember seeing and hearing about hey did you know there's this game where you can make your own keyblade wielder and you can run around all those worlds and it freaked me out i was like i need to get this game how do you do it oh wait you can't because it is japan exclusive so i was really hoping that there was going to be an opportunity for uh, international audiences to also get in on the uh, custom keyblade fun and this my answers were prayer my answers were prayer did you hear that my prayers were answered when they announced that they were going to be remaking and essentially porting the game for mobile titles like your phone all that stuff and they decided to call it unchained key why is it unchained uh we'll get into that in the story it 
sounds weird, it'll kind of make sense, but I also think it was kind of doublespeak as well, because unchained means you're not stuck at your computer. You can take it anywhere with you. You are unchained from your desktop and are free to play and roam around the worlds of Kingdom Hearts at your leisure. Uh, this was released on uh, September 3rd of 2015 in Japan and was later ported out later on in uh, 2016 with it being in April in the US and June in Europe. Uh, this version was also made to be a bit more casual. Again, something you can take with you, something you can stick in your pocket, you can bring with you and just kind of forget about, like a lot of mobile titles. And this was made to not only continue to uh, placate the hardcore fans, but also to bring in casual fans who may be new or unfamiliar to the series. And I think it worked, because eventually on uh, March 2017, a sequel was announced to the game. The game itself had essentially wrapped up its storyline, and the sequel was announced as Union Cross. Nothing would really be happening to the original game. They would just be taking it, rebranding it, and relaunching it as Union Cross. Union Cross was released that very next month in April 2017 with a couple new features. This included the uh, multiplayer mode, which was kind of the uh, whole gimmick behind Union Cross with um, unions playing a huge part in your... Uh, experience with the game unions are essentially like guilds for the game you join them you rack up points you have leaderboards the whole deal but these unions would never really um uh, would never really interact with each other outside of joining up with missions sometimes this changed all that because not only could you go out on missions with your friends and you know accomplish things kill heartless the whole deal you could also now battle your friends they they introduced the pvp mode and again it was very well received of course there were bugs but they work on them and they're still working on them today another big change that they introduced a little bit further along the line after its release was classic kingdom now what is classic kingdom you ask well i'm glad you asked because classic kingdom is essentially your game and watch style mode for this game these games are going to be featured in kingdom hearts 3 on a completely separate uh part of the game but in kind of the hype and the lead up to kingdom hearts 3 they release them as part of the x trace uh portion of union cross you open up Union Cross, you see a little button that says X-Trace, you click on that, it takes you to the Classic Kingdoms. So Classic Kingdom is very much like old school games. So you've got like, you have to escape through this uh, giant's house out the window. Uh, there's an aspect where you have to take orders at a like outside grill and you have to load things up and serve them. Uh, you have to stop intruders from coming into your meta by whacking them with a hammer. It's very old school like atari style very simplistic but still a lot of fun and as an added bonus and kind of an incentive for you to play classic classic kingdom once you got to a certain uh points accumulation through all of and each of these games i believe there's like six uh you unlocked a code which you could 
or which you can um, cash in when Kingdom Hearts 3 comes out to unlock the Starlight Keyblade. Starlight Keyblade, super cool. I'm a big fan of that design. Just the basic one, uh, as the Keyblades evolve, that's another thing with this game. You can upgrade and evolve your Keyblades, which might have a hand uh, later on in Kingdom Hearts 3. We've been getting a lot of rumors that uh, the Keyblades will be upgradable, so there is that. But I really enjoy just the classic original unupgraded starlight keyblade look and i'm kind of sad in uh, my my game that i'm not able to really go back to that aesthetic but gives you a cool keyblade that you can unlock so i jumped straight on initially the only reason i wanted to play union cross was to get that starlight keyblade because i'm a huge huge keyblade mark and it's blue and my favorite color is blue so I immediately jumped on it, had a ton of fun, stuck around for the actual story, and here we are today. I will let you know that I am not all the way through the story on my game, on my personal game, but from what I'm hearing from friends and other people who I've talked to on this, the uh, US and international story updates are pretty far behind the Japanese updates, which means that we're probably not going to be getting the resolution to this, to any of the um, stories that are in this game, until far after Kingdom Hearts 3 is released. Uh, I'm sure that with the inclusion of certain uh, concepts in Kingdom Hearts 3, like we've seen the Chirithi show up, uh, which we will, of course, get into a little bit later um, in Kingdom Hearts 3 and some of the most recent trailers. So we may get some answers. Uh, there are a couple big questions that I have that we'll cover at the end of the story breakdown, but there is a lot riding on this game. And as a personal note for me, I feel like I don't know if I totally agree that this game... Because this game feels like it should be on a console the storyline anyway feels like it should be a console game it should be at least something like a birth by sleep or like a coded but i am a little bummed that they put so much story that of course like as we said is supposed to tie in really strongly with kingdom hearts 3 as just this mobile game that a lot of people may not ever pick up. Uh, if you're a diehard Kingdom Hearts fan, you will have undoubtedly at least opened this up a few times, if not become a huge uh, contributor <laughs> to the game itself. So I, I can see how they wanted to get the story of Kingdom Hearts, especially a new story that we really haven't covered in as many hands as possible, but I kind of question uh, exactly how they're going to work around the fact that not everyone will have played this game by the time Kingdom Hearts 3 comes out. But that is it for the development and the uh, background for the game. Um, and that's it for my personal uh, ranting as well. So we are going to jump into Back Cover. Now, Back Cover uh, was initially announced with the 2.8 Final Chapter Prologue game, which also included uh, the remastered and essentially remade uh, Kingdom Hearts Dream Drop Distance, which we covered last week. If you haven't listened to that episode, listen to that episode, then come to this one. And 
it was announced as a 60-minute cinematic, so basically an hour-long movie, and it was focusing on the foretellers. Who are the foretellers? I'll tell you in just a minute. But this was essentially a summation, kind of a... uh, yeah, basically like a summary and a remastered version of the cutscenes from the original Kingdom Hearts Key game. Um, this focused on the Foretellers, of course, and uh, it was released January 2017 along with the rest of the uh, 2.8 collection, and it is interesting. Um, I think that they they tried their best to make it as a co- as cohesive a story as possible but um essentially because they were adapting cutscenes of a mobile game that you have a lot of hand in uh at times it comes across kind of jilted and um i don't know there's the the voice acting is you know fine but um the movie itself has a lot of high concept stuff that I think if you're not on the up and up when it comes to the terminology, uh, you're going to get lost. So, But that is why I am here. That is why I'm here to help you get through this story. So we are going to uh, dive right into the story of Back Cover and we will uh, cover pretty much the entire events of the game of uh, the initial Kingdom Hearts key because it is uh, included in the overall story of back cover. Uh, we will be backtracking a little bit during the story of the actual games, but this is going to be a different kind of perspective since the back cover film uh, focuses on the perspective of the foretellers, whereas the actual games focus on the perspective of you. So we are going to jump into the story of back cover right now. We begin our story hundreds of years before the events of the Kingdom Hearts series as we know it, in the age of fairy tales. At this point, the many worlds of the Kingdom Hearts universe aren't that. They are one world. They are one giant world, and if you go far enough from one place to another, you will reach other lands. Um, Basically, this is the world as it originally was. As explained in multiple forms of media, the worlds as we know it today are separated because the world initially fell to darkness. And when it was saved, when it was um, saved and brought back into the light, the connections between these worlds were still covered in that darkness. That's why we need gummy ships or doors to darkness to traverse these worlds, because Essentially, these different um, these different cities, these different countries, these different lands were all part of one giant world that were now broken up into islands, just floating along the ocean that is the Dark Realm. But this is before that. This is long before that. And the main focus of this film is the foretellers now who are the foretellers the foretellers are part of the seven protectors of light the seven protectors of light include the master of masters who gifted the usage of light keyblades and the ability to fight the darkness to his six apprentices those being ira ased envy gula ava and lushu 
Now, five of these apprentices went on to become the foretellers, while Lu Xu was kept closely to the side of the Master of Masters. All of these seven protectors of light adhere directly to what is called the Book of Prophecies. If that sounds familiar, check out our Kingdom Hearts Coded episode for more. Now, the Book of Prophecies was written by the Master of Masters, who somehow is able to see the past, the present, and the future all at once, and used his knowledge of the future to write out everything that is going to happen from here to the end of time. Now, the Book of Prophecies is strictly adhered to by the foretellers. Each member of the foretellers was given a copy of this book of prophecies and looks to it in times of peril or times of uncertainty it's also around this time that the master of masters gave certain roles to each of his apprentices era was given the role of becoming the leader of the foretellers era is the responsible one he's the steadfast he is the hard-working and determined leader of the foretellers and he has been told by the master of masters that in times of trouble he will be put in charge when the master of masters is no longer there a said is given a role to be the second in command to era he is to be his right hand man to support him in all of his um all of his strife, all of his hardships, any decisions that he has to make, he's there to support him. However, the Master of Masters also tells us said that if Ira does show signs of weakness when it comes to his leadership, that a said is to take control of the foretellers. And that's where things start to get interesting with these roles. Envy is tasked with essentially spying on everyone making sure that she is observing the goings-on between each of the foretellers as well as their unions and she is to act as a mediary between all of the unions and all of the foretellers especially era and Ased, as sometimes Ased's temper flares up and she has to mediate between the two of them gula gula's role is interesting um in each of the book of prophecies that were given to the foretellers the final page is missing the final page that is supposed to tell about the end of as far as the master masters can see is missing from each of their copies however gula is given the lost page from his copy and is told that because of this lost page, there is a traitor within the Foretellers and within the Light itself. Um, Gula is shocked by this, but Master of Masters basically tells him, you need to take this lost page, study it as much as you can, and use that to out the traitor within your midst. It's kind of assumed, though not explicitly stated, that the traitor is a foreteller. So Gula takes this as he is going to use his final page to see if any of the other foretellers deviate from their role. And if they do, that must be the traitor. Ava, who is the youngest of the group, is given a special role 
in that she is tasked with gathering keybladers from all unions. Mind you, the unions that are um, basically founded and led by the foretellers are not supposed to interact with each other. Uh, alliances between unions are explicitly forbidden in the rules of the foretellers and the uh, Book of Prophecies. But regardless, Master of Masters tells Ava to gather strong and uh, keyblade wielders that are strong of heart to join her as dandelions, and that these keyblade wielders will be the ones looked to to rebuild the world after this unnamed catastrophe that is supposed to befall the land. That's right. Bad times are coming. And the foretellers unfortunately know about it. They know that these bad times are coming because of the Book of Prophecies, but because they are all missing their last page, except for Gula, uh, they don't know exactly what's going to happen or how it's going to happen. So Ava is given the task to gather these Keyblade wielders, and they will be taken someplace safe, away from the catastrophe, and then will be tasked with rebuilding the world. Lushu, who is the final uh, apprentice, who was not given a role as a foreteller, but is instead kind of a more direct apprentice to the Master of Masters, is given something different. He's given the no-name Keyblade, which includes the Master of Masters all-seeing eye. This is the same Keyblade that Master Xehanort and Young Xehanort have used in the past. This is the Keyblade that Master Xehanort used to unlock his heart to possess Terra. It's the Keyblade that he has always shown using, and we now know why it has that eye inside of the hilt. That is because it is the all-seeing eye of the Master of Masters, and that this Keyblade is handed down through however many generations it takes to get handed down to Xehanort, which is how the Master of Masters is able to use the Book of Prophecies in the first place. This eye is able to essentially allow him to see the future because it lives throughout all these different generations. So... Lushu is, giving th is given this Keyblade as well as a box. We don't know what's in the box. We want to know what's in the box, but we will not find out what is in the box, at least for now. And he is tasked with a secret mission to do something. Uh, we're not exactly sure, and it's not explicitly stated exactly what his secret mission is, but them's the breaks. We will find out, I'm sure, in Kingdom Hearts 3 or later on in Story of uh, Union Cross. But either way, after these roles are given, the Master Master disappears, leaving Ira in charge. Ira is in charge. He has taken charge. He's fulfilling his role. I'm also going to now uh, let you know what the unions are. The unions are formed by each of these foretellers, each of these five foretellers. And each of these five foretellers kind of leads and rules over each of the unions. The unions are tasked with traversing these worlds, these many worlds, these many lands, and collecting lux, which is essentially light, to gather and feed up into Kingdom Hearts to combat the growing darkness. Uh, Ira is in charge of uh, Union Unicornus. I believe that's how you say Unicornus. Uh, Ased is in charge of Union Ursus. We have Leopardus, Leopardus, 
uh, led by Gula. We have Anguis, which is led by Envy. And we have Vulpeus, or Vulpius, which is led by Ava. So all the unions, very separate from each other. Regardless, all of the foretellers, the union leaders, are now to report to Ira as the leader. This immediately doesn't sit well with a said who has that kind of fiery personality but he is committed to sticking with his role uh during this initial time of unrest with master masters leaving there's a lot of uncertainty going on uh era discovers that there is a dark chirithi now what is a chirithi a chirithi was created by the master of masters to accompany keyblade wielders every keyblade wielder in the world of uh kingdom hearts key unchained key and union cross has a chirithi that is bonded to their heart this chirithi will remain with them will give them helpful tips will go through any and all experiences that the keyblade wielder goes through but these chirithi are also essentially influenced by the heart and the light of these keyblade wielders if a keyblade wielder is corrupted by darkness if they end up falling to darkness these chirithi will follow that setup if this sounds familiar Stay tuned. We're going to get to it. But either way, Ira discovers that there is a dark Cherithi in their midst and immediately surmises that this is the traitor that they are looking for. That whoever um, whoever Keyblader has this dark Cherithi, well, they've got to be the traitor, right? They've obviously fallen into darkness. Um, however... There's no real way for the foretellers to find out which of them is the traitor, since it would be no problem at all for any of the union leaders to summon a charity from one of their union members, easily hiding the fact that their own charity would be a dark charity. So there's a lot of unrest, a lot of unease and uncertainty, and immediately Ased sees Ira's uncertainty as weakness and kind of makes a play at leader, which gets Ira to suspect that he might be the traitor. Uh, following this meeting, Ased confronts Gula to form an alliance with their two unions, saying that as long as they're sticking together, they can amass forces, and whoever the traitor is, they'll stamp them out as soon as they discover them. Gula is willing to entertain this idea of a union for now though when they bring the idea to ava ava is more uncertain envy then intervenes disbanding this idea and saying that this is exactly what the master of masters did not want you to do this is explicitly in the rules and you are breaking them therefore going against your role so you might just be considered a traitor uh later on after Gula decides to terminate their alliance. Ased clashes with Envy, attacking her in the streets of Daybreak Town, which is where the uh, entire story takes place. The two have a vicious duel in the middle of Daybreak Town, taking apart buildings, running along uh, sidewalks, and luckily the attack is stopped by Ava and Gula, who all are able to combat said and calm him down 
it's he, it's following this that Gula reveals that he has the lost page of the Book of Prophecies. But of course, because none of the other foretellers were told the roles of each other, Ased immediately suspects Gula might be the traitor because these pages have always been missing and some somehow suddenly you have one so Ased attacks gula injuring him and gula is just saved by ava as Ased is about to strike a killing blow ava and gula go into hiding while an injured Ased, who has not only battled with envy but is now also battled with gula as well is found near death by ira in the streets the two of them who have been friends for a very long time reconcile and continue on their way ira then hearing from a said that gula has this page seeks out gula and tracks down Ava because he knows that Ava knows where Gula is. Ava sends Ira away, who like just gives up really easily. Ava's like, no, go away. And Ira's like, yeah, okay, whatever, fine. And he leaves. Ava then returns to the injured Gula, where Gula reveals that the traitor is someone who bears the sigil. We don't know what sigil this is. We don't know who bears this sigil. There are probably half a million different sigils throughout the kingdom hearts series so we don't know what sigil this could be referring to but seeing as how none of them are able to figure out who the traitor is but surmising that the master of masters might know gula reveals his plan to ava for his union to collect as much lux as possible to summon kingdom hearts he believes that by doing this, he will lure the Master of Masters back to Daybreak Town where he can question him and find out who the traitor is. He wants answers. There doesn't seem to be any from anyone who's readily available, but the person who does have them will be the Master of Masters. And honestly, this seems like a pretty foolproof plan. Gula getting his entire union together, they summon Kingdom Hearts using Lux, and hopefully he would get some help from ava and her union however ava isn't so willing to jump to help out gula she's not sure about anything that's going on anymore not knowing that gula had possessed the lost page and that he had known that there was a traitor this entire time before anyone else did she can't trust him she doesn't know what summoning kingdom hearts would do to the world so she parts ways with him however gula isn't deterred he instructs his union to gain as much lux as possible and this results in keyblade wielders all over daybreak town clashing over lux trying to gather it so that they can not only summon kingdom hearts but also become the most powerful union lux is also a way to measure strength in your union the most uh, lux and the most strength is possessed by the strongest union so this results in essentially a civil war going on in the streets causing rioting lots of stuff going on and because of all this ava realizes that this is the time that the master of masters was talking about the darkness is growing near the conflict is growing near so ava begins to gather keybladers and begins to train them to depart this world 
and begins summoning her dandelions. This is going to be the group that escapes this world, avoiding the catastrophe that's to come, and will return to rebuild the world itself. Meanwhile, Lushu is making his way through the Badlands. We're not sure exactly where he is or what he's doing, but he's on a mission. Not long after this, the Keyblade War begins. Ava takes her dandelions away, and Lushu, in the aftermath of the Keyblade War, stands atop the Keyblade graveyard and watches as Kingdom Hearts is finally summoned. And that is back cover. So if it seems like there are certain things missing, don't worry. Uh, the game story is going to go into that pretty in depth. Um, and I will try to do that as much as I can as well. Um, I'm going to let you know now where, where are we at. We are just over 40 minutes and we are just about to jump into the full entree that is this game storyline. We're looking at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven pages chock full of story notes, front and back. And it's about to get weird. So strap in i'm going to try and make this as painless as possible but first i'm going to lay down some ground rules because this is a game that involves you as the player being the main character i can't really give a name to them i tried to be really like fancy and cute and give it like a japanese sounding name because it's japan but that like equates to different things like my my big front runner was yusha because yusha in japanese means hero so that's what i was going to go with for a while but after going through all the notes writing them all down i was like no it doesn't really make any sense and it kind of gives an identity to a character who is supposed to be an avatar for the character so in that i am going to be telling this story as you so anytime i refer to you i will be referring to your character uh the unions again are anguis leopardos ursus unicornus and volpeus uh People are very liberal with their uh, their car horns out here in California. I think he's done. And also, the uh, the neighbor's dog is a huge fan of car horns. So, whenever car horns go, she goes. It's 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 a whole thing. But anyway, so uh, just for reference, for I don't know if you're interested. Uh, my build, I was in the uh, Volpeus. Union, I was recommended to go into the Volpeus Union upon uh, jumping in. That is the Union of Ava. And I pretty much just focused solely on the Starlight Keyblade. Also, as a big ground rule, I am not going to be talking about the stories of the various Disney worlds in the story breakdown. Um, each of them has a story whenever you go to each of these worlds. However, the stories of these worlds don't really have a, um, an effect on the overall overarching story. Um, 
it's not to say that they aren't important. It's not to say that they don't matter. But for the for the best interest of this story and making this as concise as I possibly can, I can't go into every single Disney World story. That would take up way too much time. But that being said, I'm going to make this as painless and as straightforward as possible. So here we are jumping into the story of Key, Unchained Key, and Union Cross. Here is the story. We begin our story with you as we began our story with the foretellers hundreds of years ago within the realm of light. However, we don't start in Daybreak Town. We start in your heart. We start in the dive to your heart. If you're a longtime Kingdom Hearts fan, you recognize the setting. Stained glass platform, pictures that are, of course, tied to your heart. And it's here that you choose your union. Whichever union you choose, you are followed up by being attacked by darkness. And it's here that you are given your first keyblade, the starlight keyblade finds its way to you you fight the darkness and you win and it's here that you wake up inside of daybreak town in daybreak town you find yourself a keyblade wielder one of many that reside within this world and as the newest member of this union you are tasked with gathering lux for your union and engaging in friendly competition with other unions in this world. It's not long after this, though, that Heartless begin to appear inside Daybreak Town, as well as all the other lands inside of this world. How can this be, though? Heartless are, from memory serves, not supposed to be around until Xehanort uses them to try and break Ventus's heart, and that's not until a decade before the events of the first game. This happens a lot sooner than that. Much, much, much earlier in the timeline. Something's wrong here. Either way, you were tasked with protecting these lands, and these lands at the time include Wonderland, Agrabah, Olympus Coliseum, Beast's, Cow Beast's Castle, and Dwarf Woodlands. You fight your way through droves of Heartless in each of these lands, rescuing people as well as creatures alike. Soon after, your Chirithi seems to gift a bangle to you, but all is not as it seems. This Chirithi is an imposter. Unbeknownst to you, he has given you something dark. Along your journey, you meet other Keyblade wielders and decide to join up on missions together. You meet at an empty house near daybreak town and the four of you decide to go on raids together one day you return to this house to meet up with your friends and find that they're gone you find that their chirithi is gone something happened to them as the days go by as well as the weeks missions keep piling up and lux is being gathered at a rapid rate why is this lux has never been this easily supplied before and this can only mean that darkness is growing and that this lux will be needed to fight it one night while you sleep you have a strange dream showing you the inner sanctum of the foretellers 
You wake and find that the only person there is your Chirithi, and go back to sleep. Somehow, the Chirithi knows that you had this dream, and may have had an influence on you having that dream. But how are Chirithi able to do that? Later on, as you're going throughout your adventures, you find a young white-haired boy named Ephemer. He is from a rival union, and the two of you become fast friends. Ephemer also lets you in on a little secret that he's been trying to get to the bottom of. These lands, these worlds that you seem to be entering into and rescuing from the darkness, they're not real worlds. These worlds are projections, are holograms, that are created by the Book of Prophecies and, by extension, the Master of Masters. These worlds are copies that were created of worlds from the far-flung future. That's how you run into a young Hercules training hundreds of years before he would have been around. You find Snow White and the dwarves much, much sooner before this land was even settled. So what is going on? Why are these worlds created by the Book of Prophecies? And what is their goal here? You realize that your dream has given you a bit of a clue on where you could find some answers, and the two of you head underneath Daybreak Town through a passage towards the inner sanctum of the Foretellers. Unbeknownst to you, however, a dark Cherithy is following close behind. Within the secret passage, you find the way into the inner sanctum of the Foretellers. However, Ephemer references that it's getting late, and that if someone hasn't already noticed that they've been gone too long, they will soon. So you and Ephemer agree to meet back here tomorrow to get to the bottom of these secrets and these mysteries surrounding Daybreak Town. On his way home, Ephemer runs into Ava, the leader of one of the other unions, and reveals to her that he made a friend, that being you, from another union. As the two part, Ava reflects on this idea that Keyblade wielders, even from other unions, could come together and fight for the light. This fills her with hope and renews her drive to find her dandelions and to gather them together. Later on, Ava reveals her plan to Ephemer, citing him as a reason for her renewed vigor in trying to collect Keyblade wielders to fight the darkness. She also reveals to Ephemer that she's chosen him to be the leader of these dandelions, and that once this world is consumed by darkness, the dandelions will look to him as their leader. Ephemer accepts, of course, though he is surprised by this, and it's quite some time until we see him again. You head to the fountain the next day to meet Ephemer, but he doesn't show up. You stay there all day waiting for him, but he never shows. Heartbroken and lost, you are cheered up by your Chirithi, who, unbeknownst to you, reveals to the audience that it is in fact a dream eater. These Chirithis created by the Master of Masters are a first trial run generation version of the dream eaters that we come to know in dream drop distance this is how the charity was able to influence your dream to give you the clue to head to the inner sanctum tensions begin to rise as ephemer reveals to you in a dream that darkness is coming that a catastrophe is coming and he wants to have you join him 
in the dandelions, but you're not sure exactly what's going on, you don't know anything about dandelions, and Ephemer realizes that it might be too soon. You wake up and decide, to hell with this, I'm going to go to this passageway and I'm going to get answers. So you head to the passageway and you run into Ava. Ava turns you away from this path and sends you off back to your missions and your day-to-day routine. That night, however, she visits you as you sleep and communicates with your Chirithi, talking about an unchained realm where she hopes to send the dandelions when the catastrophe strikes. As for you, business as usual. Weeks pass as you continue on accomplishing missions, gathering lux for your union, and you even form a small rivalry with another Keyblade wielder. Later on, your Cherithi gifts you a bangle, but this bangle is a bangle of light. This bangle of light allows you to traverse the realm of darkness, and using this, you fight a dark side and win. On your way back from this trip in the realm of darkness, you run into a young Keyblade wielder named Skuld. She brings a warning from Ephemer, saying that darkness is growing near, and though you don't quite understand how she knows Ephemer or where she could have gotten this information from, Skuld tells him he'll know in time. It's here that the conversation is interrupted by the clash between Ased and Envy in the town square, and you don't have a lot of time to process the fact that two foretellers, two leaders of unions who are supposed to be setting examples for all of the other Keyblade wielders are fighting in the streets and you don't know why. It's not long after this that creatures begin attacking Daybreak Down, dark creatures that we're not sure what they are. They're not heartless. They have a strange insignia on them, an insignia of the Nightmare Dream Eaters. Dark Cherithy then appears and lets them know that these creatures are corrupted Keyblade wielders. These creatures used to be Keyblade wielders who did anything to steal Lux from other Keyblade wielders. This birthed a darkness in their heart which eventually consumed them and turned them into the winged creatures that we see here. You and Skull decide that the foretellers must know what's happening and use the secret passageway to head into the tower and hopefully find this sanctum of the foretellers. However, in the secret passageway, you are confronted by the leader of your union who attacks you, saying that Ephemer was caught snooping here the other night and that he had become corrupted, so that this leader killed him and will kill you too if you don't turn away. You decide that Ephemer was your friend. Ephemer had been trying to find out the secrets of this world. Ephemer was not consumed by darkness. Your leader is. So you fight your leader, and before you're able to strike the killing blow, this leader reveals itself as Ava. Ava reveals the truth to you and Skuld, saying that that story about Ephemer was a lie. Ephemer is actually quite safe and is in the Unchained world, readying it for the Dandelions to arrive. She then extends the invitation to both you and Skuld to join the Dandelions. Skuld accepts immediately, ready to help rebuild this world once everything goes to crap. But you, you need more time. You're not sure. Ava lets you know that the invitation stands, but that she will give him time. As time passes, however, 
things become a little bit more complicated. Wielders are now fighting each other in the streets, trying to steal each other's lucks. And you are actually witness to a fight that you have to break up. Following this, however, a set arrives, telling everyone present that the strongest union is going to survive this catastrophe, and that the strongest union will have the most lux. Feeding into the fears of these Keyblade wielders, as well as Keyblade wielders and other unions, telling them that what you're doing is right. Attack other Keyblade wielders, steal their lux, because if you don't have enough lux, you are going to perish. You stand up to Ased, and Ased challenges you, basically saying that you don't have any authority to say anything to me. He attacks you and he defeats you, but before he can strike a killing blow, Ira intervenes, sending Ased off and telling everyone else to disperse. However, Ira does reveal to you that the battle has been agreed upon, that the Keyblade War has been coming for a long time, and Ira now realizes that the Keyblade War is unavoidable. No matter what they do, the Book of Prophecies is 100% correct. It doesn't lie. The Keyblade War is coming. And so Ira has had no choice but to agree upon a time and a place for this Keyblade War to take place. He lets you know to get ready, and that there are going to be casualties, that a great catastrophe is coming, and that catastrophe is the Keyblade War. That night, you have a dream of the Keyblade War being surrounded by other Keyblade wielders, covered in shadow, and as you fall, the world falls around you. You awake to a town in chaos. Fights and rioting is happening all over Daybreak Town, and nothing is safe. Master Ava, who has been gathering the Dandelions, has disappeared. We don't know where she is, and we don't know what's going to happen. Skald, knowing that Gula was the last one to see Ava, theorizes that he might know where she went. So Skald promises to find Gula, and therefore find Ava. We're going to take a break here. We're going to take a quick little detour to a character that we haven't brought up yet but a character that i think is very important to our story this character is a young keyblade wielder named strelitzia strelitzia is a silent observer to the events of your story she first saw you on the day that you waited for ephemer by the fountain and she was moved by your concern for your lost friend following that she seemed to run into you everywhere on missions, in different lands, and even on the day that Ased and Envy had their duel. It's not long after this that Strelitzia was taken aside by Ava and was told that she is going to be another leader of the Dandelions, that when this catastrophe passes and the Dandelions return to this world, that five leaders will be succeeding the five foretellers and that they will be in charge of the Dandelions. Ava reveals that along with Ephemer, Strelitzia has been chosen to be a leader. Knowing this, however, Strelitzia realizes that this war is going to result in countless casualties. And as someone who she cares about, she doesn't want you to get caught in the crossfire. So she wants to recruit you into the Dandelions, but as it's late, she decides to wait until tomorrow. Unfortunately, tomorrow doesn't exactly go to plan. 
In the morning, you and Scald head to an empty house on the outskirts of Daybreak Town, and you find Gula within it. Meanwhile, Ava, who is revealed to have been searching for Lushu this whole time, realizing that he's the only apprentice of the Master of Masters who went missing alongside their master, finally finds Lushu atop a hill near the Badlands. She confronts him, asking if the Master of Masters knew that all of this was going to happen, that she knew the foretellers would turn on each other, and that she wants to know if Lushu has been in on it this whole time. Lushu reveals that he knows of the lost page of the Book of Prophecies, and lets on that his mission might just have been to observe everything that's going on. Ava is taken aback by this and surmises that Lushu might be the traitor. Lushu was the only one that wasn't present during the meetings that they had about the traitor, and Lushu is the only one who they've never seen his Chirithi. Meanwhile, back with Gula, you, and Skald, Gula reveals the lost page to you and Skald and reads it to you, which I will be reading right here. Unable to permit disharmony, you'll be disappointed by fate and lose sight of the true strength. Misreading the truth, you will venture forth in secrecy, and then, with that one strike, a bell will toll for the final battle, and the battle will begin at last, and the time shall be chosen. Back at the hilltop, Lushu reveals the truth to Ava about the traitor. We're not sure exactly what he said to her, but Ava is immediately taken aback. She is surprised by this and can't believe that whatever Lushu told her is true. However, Lushu tells her this is fact. This has been fated. This has been decided already. And Ava Ask, asking if Lushu knows exactly what's about to happen, is surprised when Lushu draws the no-name Keyblade. Ava summons her own Keyblade to defend herself and attacks Lushu. The two Keyblades strike each other, and a shockwave is sent from the meeting of these two Keyblades. This shockwave reaches through the plains in the forest all the way to Daybreak Town, and the resulting shockwave rings the bell in the clock tower in Daybreak Town, signaling that the war has begun, just as the Lost Page said. Following this and realizing that all hope is lost, the war is coming, the Dandelions need to come together, Skald tells you that she is going to gather them together and hopes that you'll meet them. However, you've got some unfinished business when you're confronted by the Dark Chirithi. The Dark Chirithi reveals itself as the Chirithi that gave out the bangles. All these bangles were filled with darkness and made it just that much easier for these Keyblade wielders to fall into madness, fighting each other over Lux. This whole thing has been seemingly orchestrated by the Dark Chirithi, but the Dark Chirithi doesn't seem to be the one pulling the strings. He manipulated the wielders and used them to further the conflict and the unrest within Daybreak Town. But the biggest bomb is dropped when the Dark Chirithi reveals that it is your Chirithi. Your Chirithi is surprised by this. There's no way. Keyblade wielders are only given one Chirithi. How could this thing, this Dark Chirithi, also be yours? 
you aren't given much time to think about that because the Dark Cherithi summons up more of the corrupted Keyblade creatures and sends them after you. You defeat them, but the Dark Cherithi then absorbs them and becomes this giant creature emblazoned with the Nightmare Dream Eater symbol. After a desperate battle, you defeat the Dark Cherithi, who reverts back to its small Cherithi form. Strangely, this Dark Cherithi doesn't seem to be too concerned with the fact that it's drifting away, that it's fading into the darkness. It says that the bond has been severed, and that it'll see us soon. We're not sure exactly what's going to happen, but this gives you the feeling that this fight isn't over. Meanwhile, Strelitzia is informed by her Chirithi that it spied you near an abandoned house on the outskirts of Daybreak Town. So she heads straight there, but of course this is long after you've gone. Strelitzia searches the house and finds that no one's there, but before she can leave, she is killed by an unknown assailant. And her rulebook as a leader of the Dandelions is stolen by this unseen assassin. Months later, the war officially begins. Hundreds upon hundreds upon thousands of Keyblade wielders arrive at the Badlands, and the ensuing war is unlike anything that any of these Keyblade wielders have ever seen. You somehow have found your way onto the battlefield as well, and in the chaos, you end up dueling multiple Union leaders. You are first attacked by a Sed, who sees that your strength has grown since you dueled in the town square. And after you are able to fend him off, though just barely, a Sed is attacked by Ira, itching to finish what they started. Envy then arrives, apologizing that you were swept up in all this and hoping that you were able to make this out alive. The two of you battle and Though you are outclassed by Envy, she withdraws, saying that she hopes that you make it through this. Gula then arrives and attacks you, but of course because of his blah nature, loses interest and heads off to the next battle. You are then confronted by Ira, who wishes things could have been different but now realizes that this conflict was always unavoidable. You are able to just barely fend off Ira before he is attacked once again by Ased, the two heading off deeper into the battlefield. As you fall to your knees, your injuries piling up, you are found by Ava. Ava draws her keyblade. From what we can tell, whatever Lushu told her shook her to her core, and she is now filled with anger. She attacks you, but after you are able to just barely hold your own, Ava is hopeful that you will join the Dandelions and heads deeper into the battlefield. As Keyblades begin to fall from the sky from battles far above you, turning the Badlands into a familiar setting, the Keyblade Graveyard. After all the battling has finally ended, you possibly the final Keyblade wielder left alive, lie bleeding and dying in the middle of the Keyblade graveyard. As you start to fade away, a beam of light surrounds you, and you are saved by Skald and Ephemer. Ephemer arrives, and you tearfully embrace your friend. Ephemer lets you know that out of everyone, he wanted to come back and save you. 
with this, Ephemer and Skald bring you into the Unchained World. Far away from the battle, as we ended before, Lushu looks on from afar with all of the hearts and light and lux from all of the fallen keybladers drift into the sky and summon Kingdom Hearts. Following the credits, you wake up in Enchanted Dominion, a world that, up till this point, we haven't seen yet. Your Chirithi lets you know that you've been dreaming, and as you head off, a black crow flies above your head. It heads over past a forest full of thorns and lands on the arm of Maleficent. She references something that seemed to have been a success and also asks where Pete has gone. She then reveals that this isn't the Maleficent of these hologram worlds. This is our Maleficent. We know this because Maleficent references Sora and Riku, saying that even those fools, Sora and friends, won't be able to follow me here. This has to be following the events of Kingdom Hearts Coded, where she spoke about the Book of Prophecies and the idea that there might be a connection between it and the data world of the journal. Somehow Maleficent has found her way into the Unchained world, into this dream world, and she's got big old plans. As we move past the original story of Kingdom Hearts Key, we move into Unchained Key slash Union Cross, and we join up with our dandelions. Ephemer and Skald return to the Keyblade Graveyard as the leaders of the dandelions were instructed to come back to this spot to meet each other, to set down ground rules, to begin rebuilding the world. Skald isn't surprised that Ephemer is there, though Ephemer seems to be surprised that he is. The two reference how there are supposed to be five leaders to succeed these foretellers, and as they wait, they are finally met by the third leader of the Dandelions, which happens to be a familiar face. Ventus. That's right. Ventus. Our boy, Ven. Somehow, he is alive hundreds of years before the events of Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep, and he is the third leader of the Dandelions. He references how he was never really part of a union, how he never really had any friends, but that he is here, he has been chosen, and that he is here to help fix the world. The fourth leader arrives, a emo-looking uh, man with his eyes covered and wearing a slick-looking fedora. This man's name is Brain, for some reason. Um, it's here that they discuss this idea that the dream world is where all of the dandelions are right now, but that these leaders have placed them there, and that this dream world is meant to be almost a haven, almost a exact copy of the world that the dandelions come from. However, this world is essentially a lie. This dream world is to keep the dandelions safe until they are ready to come back and repopulate and refix this world that has been lost to darkness. 
Ven seems a little uneasy about lying to all of these dandelions because the leaders are the only ones who are going to know what exactly happened. The dandelions who are following them will know nothing about the Keyblade War, will know nothing about any of the conflict that happened. Time passes, and the four leaders of the Dandelions are growing impatient. After a long while, the fifth leader arrives. This leader is also a familiar face. With long pink hair, the fifth leader introduces himself as Lorium. Now, if that doesn't sound familiar to you, mix up those letters a little bit. Throw in an X, and you get Marluxia. That's right, the antagonist of Kingdom Hearts Chain of Memories is now also somehow here. And he is not Marluxia exactly. He is the somebody of Marluxia. Lorium is here somehow and is the fifth leader of the Dandelions. Though a little doubt is casted upon him as well as the rest of the leaders of the Dandelions. One of these five killed Strelitzia and took her spot as a leader of the Dandelions. None of them know this, however, because none of them had met until this moment. So somehow, both Ventus and Lorium are alive and well hundreds of years before they're supposed to be around, but we'll deal with that. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Back with you, in a new world, you as well as all of the other dandelions have been placed inside of this dream world, which seems to be an exact copy of the world that you come from. Your memories, however, have been tampered with and erased. No conflicts about the Keyblade War or about the Heartless or conflicts between the Foretellers. In fact, these Foretellers, who are, of course, dream copies of the originals, get along just fine and seem to be working through any of the conflicts that the real foretellers might have been not so quick to uh, settle. In this world, you follow the original journey of Kingdom Hearts Key, but with a little bit of a twist. No war happened. Things ramped up, people got nervous, but this war never came to pass, and so life has gone on. You continue with your day-to-day gathering lux, going on adventures, going on missions. You even find four companions who go on missions with you. There are also two new lands that you have to explore, being the Castle of Dreams and Enchanted Dominion. As a side note, with the inclusion of these two worlds, that means all of the worlds that you're able to access, excluding Olympus Coliseum, contain the worlds of the Princesses of Heart. I don't know if that's relevant or not, but... I think that's definitely something to keep in mind. However, all is not well. Each night after your adventures and your missions, you are plagued by nightmares of the Keyblade War. You're not sure what's going on, how you have these dreams, or what even they mean, but your Chirithi becomes increasingly worried as it's not able to influence your dreams to take away those memories. Your Cheer 3 is also reporting to Scald and Ephemer, letting them know about the nightmares you're having, and this makes them uneasy. They're not sure why you are unable to shake the memories like the other Dandelions were, and they're hopeful that, given time, you'll be able to forget the horrors of the Keyblade War. 
the five leaders arrive in the original sanctum of the foretellers where brain after seeing that the master of masters copy of the book of prophecies is still there realizes that they've got more work to do than they originally thought going into their original rule books they see that they're tasked with creating spirits for their dandelions this being the chirithes or maybe something a little bit different meanwhile maleficent back in our dream world reveals that she's been able to time travel thanks to the events of kingdom hearts one where riku while possessed by ansem seeker of darkness released her heart from her body and as we all know from the events of dream drop distance if you're able to leave your body behind and travel back to a point where you already were you are able to time travel her goal was to travel back to the enchanted dominion before the events of it falling to darkness so that she could conquer it herself however somehow in her travels through time she landed in the dream world she was moved somehow and in this dream world the events of the enchanted dominion remain the same except that instead of being defeated by ven terra and aqua she's defeated by you following this duel she heads back into the castle and is met by a shadowy figure the shadowy figure might be the person who attacked and killed strelitzia he reveals that the dream worlds are made of data that because the master of master created the holograms in the initial adventure without him there would be no worlds in the dream world to create however through using the book of prophecy in conjunction with the unchained realm they were able to create data copies of these worlds and that's how you're able to travel to these worlds as you go on your adventures now through the unchained realm and it's because of this that Maleficent finds herself in the data copy of the past Enchanted Dominion. However, it's not just that. Somehow, this shadow person directed Maleficent into the data world because of her knowledge of the future. For some reason, this shadowy figure knows that Maleficent is from the future, knows that she would use that knowledge to change history, and instead plopped her right into the data dream world we're not sure why we're not sure what this person's goal is but it does reveal that there may still be a way for maleficent to return home and the only way to do that would be to work with this shadowy figure to which maleficent says i'm listening back with our leaders of the dandelions lorium has been searching for his sister who it's revealed to be strelitzia that potentially marks him off of the list for potential attackers of strelitzia because he is searching desperately for his sister and the last time that he saw her was before the keyblade war broke out while talking to ephemer he realizes that these data worlds have to have created data copies of the people inhabiting them otherwise these data worlds inside of the unchained realm would be just empty 
and devoid of all life. Therefore, he surmises that if he can get into the data world in one of these worlds that Strelitzia, of course, went on missions just like any other Keyblade wielder, he might be able to find a data copy of her and bring her back. As he sets off to find out more about this, the remaining Dandelion leaders have to call a meeting because there's a new development inside their rule books. These rule books detail this idea that Keyblade duels should commence between the Dandelions to gather Lux and to... Well, we're not sure. We're not exactly sure why these duels have to take place, but they are in the rulebook, so that means that they do. Uh, Lorium is, of course, absent because he is searching for his sister, though he sends word with Brain that whichever they choose, his vote will align with Ephemer's. Back in Daybreak Town, and we're not sure whether this is the real Daybreak Town or the dream Daybreak Town, Lorium finds an old friend of Strelitzia's. Well, not technically a friend of Strelitzia's. Strelitzia's Chirithi was friends with this person's Chirithi, and this person was the last person to see Strelitzia before the war. And this person is Elrena. Now, again, if that name doesn't sound familiar to you, mix up the letters, add in an X, and you get Larkseen. That's right. Add to the name of the people that are suddenly alive hundreds of years before they should be. Larkseen is here, but it's not Larkseen. It's her somebody, Elrena. Elrena seems very kind and even a little bit innocent, a stark ass, stark uh, contrast from Larkseen, who is known to be vicious and absolutely sadistic. Elrena last saw Strelitzia before the war and hasn't really seen her since, but Elrena's Chirithi reveals that Strelitzia was looking for somebody, that she seemed to be intent on bringing them in to the Dandelions. And somehow, Skuld is involved, because the Chirithi that communicated with Strelitzia's Chirithi was there when it saw you and Skald head into the tower at the end of town. Elrena's Chirithi gives that information to Lorium, realizing that Skald must know where his sister is. Lorium heads off. Back at the meeting, we seem to be at a stalemate, with these Keyblade duels somehow in the rulebooks. Everyone's a little uneasy about it. Then, who seem to be caught off guard by this, and seems to might not have been reading the rulebook as thoroughly as he should have, is dismayed at this idea of fighting between Keyblade wielders again, because he doesn't want to see what happened to their world happen to this new dream world. As such, when they go to vote, Ven as well as Skuld are against these Keyblade duels, while Brain votes for them, saying that they could be a good pastime, as well as collecting more Lux is never a bad thing. This falls to Ephemer. Ephemer gives his vote, and that vote is to go in favor of the Keyblade duels, judging that if it's in the rulebook, they have to follow it. And of course, because he also holds not only his vote, but also Lorium's, that means these Keyblade duels will come to pass. However, talking to Lorium about the data worlds gave him an idea. 
instead of having these keybladers fight each other for real when it comes to these keyblade duels they'll use data copies conjured up by this dream realm and that way everyone is appeased Lorian returns and questions Skull about the location of his sister and Skull is surprised by this she's never met or seen Strelitzia before but Brain realizing that Strelitzia was searching for someone with Skald realizes that if she was searching for someone to join the Dandelions they couldn't have been a Dandelion before the war so they had to have been someone who became a Dandelion after the war very quickly Skald realizes so does Ephemer that the person that Lorium is looking for as well as the person who may have been the last person to see Strelitzia before she died is now a target and these five dandelion leers are going to hunt this person down and that person is you Whew, and that is it. That is the full story of Kingdom Hearts Key, Unchained Key, Union Cross, and Back Cover. I told you this was a uh, this was going to be a long one. There is a lot of ground to cover. This game has been going on since 2013, and man, I know I'm sure it got confusing in some parts, but I tried to make it as clear and concise as possible. Uh, we are just under an hour and a half. Oh gosh, this is. I think this is probably the longest Kingdom Hearts video we've done, but I mean, there's just so much you have to cover in all this. But now that we have that out of the way, um, we will be continuing on. Uh, the Where we ended with the story is pretty much how they are caught up with uh, the story updates. There's rumors that there's going to be one more story update before the release of Kingdom Hearts 3. Uh, but as of the time of this recording, it hasn't been released yet, so we don't exactly know what it is or what it entails. But uh, we can assume that the Dandelion leaders are going to be looking for for uh, the player character and that things are only going to get weirder from there. But for continuing updates on that, feel free to download the game, play the game. It's fun. Uh, for what it is, it's, you know, your basic run-of-the-mill online mobile game, point-and-click, you go. But uh, it's it's nice, and the added lore is, while confusing and a little convoluted, I think really interesting. There's a lot of uh, material there that you can check out, that you can really think about, as it's apparently supposed to all tie into Kingdom Hearts 3. So I'm interested in seeing what happens next, and I hope you are too. Uh, this story continues on. We are, oh man, we are just, what, one, two, we're just under three weeks away from the release of uh, Kingdom Hearts 3, and I am super excited. We're exactly 20 days uh, since this is uh, being dropped on the 9th of January. The game itself releases on the 29th, and man oh man oh man am i excited i am ready to play this game and especially after all of the story and all the retrospective that we've done getting that full perspective on all of the stories is oh i'm so excited but um we have one last stop in our retrospective before we get there 
that being with Kingdom Hearts 0.2, a fragmentary passage. The uh, I would say it's like the epilogue for Birth by Sleep as well as the prologue for Kingdom Hearts 3. Um, I'm I'm just I'm super excited. <laughs> uh, Aqua is one of my favorite characters in the series. I really enjoyed uh, playing as her in the original Birth by Sleep as well as the uh, 2.5 Remix version of the game. And from what I have seen, the game is beautiful. It is stunning. The gameplay is, from what I can tell, like probably going to be essentially a tech demo for Kingdom Hearts 3. So a lot of the stuff that we find in that game is going to be implemented in Kingdom Hearts 3 as well. So I'm really excited for it. Um, check back here next week for that episode which will be the final episode in the retrospective and that'll get us all the way caught up to where we need to be uh following that we have our uh extra special discussion with uh, damian garcia the person who requested this series in the first place where we count down our top kingdom hearts moments uh following that the same release week as uh kingdom hearts 3 we have a super secret special episode which i may or may not uh drop hints at as we go along so uh again thank you for sitting through this i know this was a long one uh, i appreciate your patience and listening through this story it was a big expansive story so uh if you have listened all the way through thank you thank you so much <laughs> it makes the long hours spent playing this game as well as doing all these uh research and notes worth it i do appreciate it just know that um and definitely stick around for next week we're going to be continuing on again and absolutely stick around after this and after the jump for this week's comics countdown until then we will see ya back here for 0.2 fragmentary passage and i realize that this outro has been going on a little long i'm rambling i'm filling time i don't know why i'm still talking oh man run the music Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. Uh, this is the segment of our show where I talk about the top five, probably more, probably sometimes less, comics that I picked up this week and that I think you should pick up too. Whether you pick them up from your local comic book shop, you get them on Comixology, or whatever other apps that there are out there, there are many. Uh, I think these are super cool issues, and I think you should pick them up too. Uh, since this looks to be a pretty long episode, we are going to be just shotgunning through these. So uh, we will go ahead and jump into the first one. And mind you, this is not a top five this week. This is a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, top eight comics that I think you should pick up this week. And we start off with Avengers number 12. Uh, this is written by Jason Aaron with art by Ed McGuinness. Uh, this is a, another flashback issue. These issues are going... Um, every so often there's going to be issues dealing with the Avengers of 1000 or 1 million BC, which is kind of a new concept by Jason Aaron with this book. So uh, I really was interested in the last Spotlight issue that covered 
the ghost writer of 1 million BC, and this one looks to be focusing on the first Iron Fist that I'm really interested about. So we will go ahead and jump into uh, Synopsis Voice, and if you have any Synopsis Voices that you think I should use for these Synopses, please let me know on Twitter at Pod or through email. Send them to geeksplained at gmail.com. We will jump into the synopsis here. Featuring the Iron Fist of 1 million BC, Andrea Sorrentino joins series writer Jason Aaron with another flashback tale of the prehistoric Earth's mightiest heroes. Meet the primordial woman who was the first to harness the power of the heart of the dragon Shu Lao, becoming the very first Iron Fist. So I was wrong. Uh, <laughs> I didn't read these uh, synopses before I uh, gave this, or before I uh, started recording. So the art is actually by Andrea Sorrentino, which I'm really excited about. Uh, big fan of his. He uh, famously did a great run on Green Arrow, as well as Old Man Logan. So uh, definitely pick this one up. Next up, we have Martian Manhunter number two. Uh, this is number two of 12, written by Steve Orlando with art by Riley Rosmo. Really, really cool concept. Uh, Martian Manhunter, kind of a dick. Not proud of it. So I'm really interested to see where this goes. The first issue was really good and kind of dives into this idea that uh, Jean Jones was kind of a uh, crooked cop. And it really, it's kind of world building, which we haven't really seen for Jean's original uh, Martian civilization. So I really liked it. I love Rosmo's art, how weird and kind of abstract and out there it goes. So I picked this, I really, really think you should pick this up as well as issue number one if you haven't picked that up. Here is the synopsis. Return to Mars in the days before its doom to see the love affair of Jean and Miria, and a Martian coming-of-age ritual you'll never forget. All of these painful memories Jean carries with him to his new life on Earth. But first, he's got to survive the pain of a car crash, being set on fire, and accidentally revealing his true form to his detective partner. Did we mention she's heavily armed? So yeah, really interesting. I love that we're finally kind of diving into Jean's uh, side gig as a beat cop. I love that aspect of the character, and I think that's not that's something that isn't focused on enough. So I definitely think you should pick this up. Next up, we have a brand new number one. This is Captain Marvel number one, uh, written by Kelly Thompson with uh, art by Carmen Nunez Carnero and Amanda Connor. I am really interested in seeing where they go with this. Uh, Kelly Thompson, great writer. I'm a big fan of hers. Recently, she has been absolutely killing it on West Coast Avengers, and I am really excited to see what she does with Carol. Uh, if you are excited for the new movie with Brie Larson, I mean, how couldn't you be? Uh, this is a great jumping on point for this character, and this seems like that's really what this is kind of constructed as. Uh, also, the art looks great, so definitely pick this up, and uh, we will jump into the synopsis here. All the stars align as Kelly Thompson and Carmen Carnero take on Marvel's premier female superhero. 
As Captain Marvel, Carol Danvers has spent months in space protecting Earth from alien threats big and small. But now, it's time for Earth's mightiest hero to come home. New York City has never looked so good, but every re-entry comes with the unexpected, and Carol is about to hit a whole lot of unexpected. It's a fresh start and an oversized, star-studded welcome home for a hero who's been punching the glass ceiling since the 1970s, and just in time for the first female-led film from Marvel Studios. The next 50 years of Captain Marvel starts here. So yeah, I think, again, this is kind of being marketed as a good jumping-on point for the character, and if you're interested in the character, this is definitely a great place to start. Next up, we have Nightwing, number 56. Uh, This book has been absolutely killing it. I'm really enjoying the book. I'm really enjoying this story of uh, Rick Grayson, even though I I can't stand that, Um, along with this kind of Nightwing gang full of uh, cops, firefighters, and uh, whatnot, kind of using Nightwing's old gear to wage like a team war on crime i've really been enjoying it and i'm interested to see where this goes next uh i'll jump in the synopsis here the nightwings have been picking up the slack dick grayson left behind making a dent in petty crime and cleaning up the streets of bloodhaven but as scarecrow's plan comes to fruition it looks like they may have bitten off more than they can chew putting grayson in a position he was not prepared for one where he may be forced to become a hero once more so this looks like it's going to be a big turning point uh, for the story and the character. Um, Scarecrow has been steadily like building up his uh, forces to kind of wage war on Bloodhaven. And the Nightwing gang is not as skilled as Rick Grayson. So I'm excited to see what choice he makes. He is a hero at heart, but he's kind of been uh, a wayward son, if you will. So I'm interested to see where they go next. Also another book I'm ready to see where it goes next is Thor number 9, written by Jason Aaron with art by Michael Del Mundo. I have been really enjoying this book, and as we are vamping up, vamping up, ramping up, ramping up to uh, the War of the Realms, which just seems to be the big crossover for this year, uh, Jason Aaron's pulling out all the stops, and Thor is going to be at the forefront of this story. So we will go ahead and jump into the synopsis here. Meet Earth's newest defender, Roz Solomon. With S.H.I.E.L.D. gone, Roz Solomon has been left adrift in a world full of homeless gods and mislaid hammers. Now this Asgardian ally is about to take on a surprising new role and make a million new enemies. For the War of the Realms is coming, and the invasion of Earth may have already begun. Cue the Frost Giants! So yeah, uh, the War of the Realms is inching ever closer. Malekith has been working his way through all of the realms towards Midgard. So I am excited to see where that goes. Another book I'm excited to see where it goes is Batman number 62, uh, with, uh, written by Tom King with art by Mitch Jarrods. I am so excited to see what happens here. Um, this, uh, cover features Professor Pig, uh, which is always, he's, he's a, uh, he's a guilty pleasure of mine when it comes to Batman's rogues gallery. So I'm excited to see what they do with him. This whole idea of, uh, this kind of series of Batman nightmares, uh, has been really interesting so far. It's kind of set to be a, uh, 
a kind of like series of one shots. So I'm interested to see where it goes. And I love the combination of Tom King and Mitch Jarrett's. They just wrapped up Mr. Miracle. Uh, I, I'm really, I'm really excited. So we'll jump to the synopsis here. The Asner winning creative team behind Mr. Miracle is back together as artist Mitch Jarrett's rejoins the bat team for a special issue. Professor Pig is loose in Gotham, and you know that means things are going to get weird and bloody. So, uh, again, I love Professor Pig. It's it's really dumb, and he's a really dumb character, but I'm really interested to see where they go. And uh, Tom King has been really trying to fire on all cylinders after, uh, I think, a really controversial and shaky issue 50 but he's really like started to find his footing again and i'm really really enjoying the stories that he's been pumping out since then so definitely pick this up especially if you're into weird batman villains uh, another issue we've got is Miles Morales, Spider-Man, number two, uh, written by Saladin Ahmed with art by Javi Garon. I really enjoyed the first issue, and it's very well documented how much I loved Into the Spider-Verse. Uh, it's also our most successful episode on the podcast. Uh, if Let me pull up my stats one more time. Um, we are looking at... Let me pull this... Looking at this live, I'm vamping, I'm going. That's what vamping is. Okay, so, God, that's so crazy, it makes me smile. Um, we are looking at just under 400 listens to our Into the Spider-Verse review. If you haven't checked that out, definitely check that out. Um, short to the sweet point, uh, kind of summarizing that episode, I love the film. Uh, I've seen it twice, and I'll, if an opportunity arises to go see it again, I am not going to pass that up. But uh, this book is a great book to jump into following seeing that film. Uh, Saladin Ahmed has really given Miles a more, I want to say, more updated flavor. Uh, a lot of people have complained in the past that uh, Miles is basically just a black Peter Parker, which couldn't be further from the truth. They are very different characters, but I feel like sometimes that gets lost with certain writers. But with Saladin Ahmed, he has definitely not lost that. He has given Miles his own flavor, and I'm really excited to see where this book goes. Uh, so here is the synopsis of Miles Morales, Spider-Man number two. Miles is getting closer to solving the mystery of the thievery ring plaguing Brooklyn, but the Rhino has complicated matters quite a lot. Rhino doesn't usually have minions preferring to charge alone. What's behind this change of methodology? Plus, meet a new antagonist who may just become Miles' most dangerous foe. So yeah, this seems like they're really trying to establish Miles with a rogues gallery. Uh, he really... When compared to uh, Peter Parker's rogues gallery, Miles really doesn't have one to speak of. So I'm interested to see what they do. But what I am the most interested to see what they do, the book that I have been waiting for a long time, the book that I am so excited is finally here, is Young Justice number 1. Written by Brian Michael Bendis with art by Patrick Gleason. You need to pick up this book, especially if you've been kind of becoming disenchanted with uh dc comics recently they've been making a lot of 
of uh, creative decisions with characters that I know for me I've been really kind of confused about and not super on board with all the time. So uh, definitely, definitely pick this up. This book promises to be fun, a return to form, and with Young Justice Outsiders uh, debuting on uh, DC Universe, this is a perfect book for you to pick up right now. Uh, So we will go ahead and jump into the synopsis here. Superboy, Wonder Girl, Robin, Impulse, Amethyst. They're all united in Young Justice number one, the debut issue of a brand new series that introduces new heroes Teen Lantern and Ginny Hex. When the nightmare dimension known as Gemworld invades Metropolis, these teen heroes reunite to deal with the situation, but they're shocked to discover the battle may be the key to the return of Connor Kent, aka Superboy. This mix of fan favorites and new legacy heroes will be the center point for some of the biggest goings-on at DC. As if that weren't enough, Bendis reunites with all-star artist Patrick Gleason to bring the new heroes of DC's Wonder Comics to life. So I'm really excited. This book seems really fun. DC's been really dealing in a lot of dark stuff, which I mean, when you are the flagship, when your flagship character is Batman, like that tends to happen. But this seems like a return to form, and I absolutely love the combination of Connor Kent, Tim Drake, and Bart Allen, and the team that has all three of them on there is a definite win and a pickup from me. But that is going to do it for this uh, week's comics countdown. To recap, let me pull up my notes one more time uh to recap we've got batman number 62 nightwing number 56 martian manhunter number two miles morales spider-man number two thor number nine avengers number 12 captain marvel number one and young justice number one if there are any books that i've missed any books that you uh think i should pick up please let me know feel free again on twitter at geeksplain pod that's at geeksplain pod and feel free to give us a follow uh we are growing all the time i'm really excited for our 2019 so definitely stay tuned for uh, some big stuff I've got coming down the pipeline but that will do it for this week we are almost at two hours and that's freaking crazy uh, we don't normally do two hour episodes but I hope you enjoyed the ride as much as I did so um, yeah we'll see you right back here next week for the next installment of our Kingdom Hearts retrospective the final installment of our Kingdom Hearts retrospective and part what is this it's going to be part three of uh, Kingdom Hearts Month, Kingdom Hearts Amania, uh, that I've been kind of coining on Twitter and other people seem to really be enjoying. So uh, definitely stay tuned for that. But for Geeksplain, this is Eric Azana. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time. 